What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> down at 4th Street? That, that downtown? I definitely don't do 4th Street anymore. Do I? I'm too old for 4th Street. Yeah. It's just as strange as that sounds. Well, at the Panhandle, it gets on my nerves. I've been down there. I'll go to... Uh, the Highlands? No, I'm actually, I've never... I go to like St. Matthew's area, because that's where all of them live. So, hmm. But I say we just jump in it and get it started. So I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. we got Lee McClellan. How's everyone? Merry Christmas. Uh, almost, yeah. Yeah, almost Christmas time. Oh, it's December. I, one of my favorite months, actually. And then Wes Little. Wes, yep. you've been on before. Yep. You've been on, I think we had you on uh, prior to dove season, right? Yeah, with a little dove season. Yeah, a little talk about dove Same. season. So right now, I guess, uh, when did Waterfowl open up? Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first, it's got two segments. So the mm-hmm. first is in Thanksgiving Day through the hot love weekend, and then there's a split, and then you count back 60 days from the last Sunday yeah. in January, and that is the second segment. And JB kind of explained to us why that was all fre- it's all federally mandated. Right, to yeah, we're given 60 days total, yeah. and so it's just when our hunters want it. So I guess that, so. I guess my question is, and, and one thing I want to get into because, like I said, I haven't waterfowl hunted before, so I'm looking at it from a completely newbie standpoint, and I'm thinking other people out there probably are too. So I wanted to kind of know. If I'm looking to get into it, how, how do I? What do I need? How do I do it on the on the cheap? Because I know it can get really expensive. And honestly, people who waterfowl hunt tell me it's the most fun. It's the most addicting. And these are people that coyote hunt and deer hunt and turkey hunt and do everything else also. But waterfowl is their favorite. It just seems to be really popular with people who do it. It is, I and mean, waterfowl is a lot like turkey hunting. Yeah. So you talk to turkey hunters; they're diehard turkey hunters. And the reason is you're interacting with the bird mm-hmm. most. You know, you do very little jump shooting if you're yeah. into waterfowl hunting. You want to shoot a bird out of the air that you've called out, yeah. you know, called from the sky. It's interacting with the bird. I kind of think that's what makes it that, so fun. That's why my favorite way to deer hunt is to uh, call a deer in. I like rattling and grunting. That's why coyote hunting's fun, even though they're not talking back. I mean, you're still bringing that animal to you. Sure. And, uh, I mean, you're interacting directly with it, kind of influencing what it's doing. And that's fun. And waterfowl, I've watched videos, actually watched a waterfowl, a goose hunting video before we came in here just to kind of get in the mood, I guess. And, uh, I mean, they had flocks coming in and, you know, what's it called when they when they fan out? Is that what it's called? or? Yeah. So, I mean, when cup, they, cupped up, whatever. Cupped There's up. a lot of different terms. When, when they go into land and they just kind of spread and they're yep. just kind of soaring to the ground and then, you know, the Feet guy. down, cupped up, a lot get, of. A lot of terminology. Guys pop out of the pop-up blinds and guns start going bit. off. Yeah, it's. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. It I, is. I, the best part, you're cutting up the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's not like deer hunting where you're sitting still yeah. and quiet and trying to not stink and yeah. everything. You know, you literally show up in the field with your buddies and you until you're working a bird, you're playing with each other, messing yeah. around, throwing. Yeah mud clots or whatever you know it's a it's just a good time you can take your dog out there and it's always fun to have a dog with you too people right. i mean that makes everything better yeah, really having a dog it. out there we were just talking in the hallway before we came in about our dogs back home and, and i mean if you can take your dog to the field and get them involved too that just adds to it yeah but yeah you know, like you said people are cutting up i saw in these videos you know when there weren't birds coming in these guys were you know standing up they were moving some decoys around trying some different things and that made me think, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes into waterfowl hunting as far as your spreads and how you place decoys and all this different stuff. Yep. But say I'm somebody who has no experience at all and I just want to go out there and give it a try. Can it be done? Absolutely. Every one of us. Well, I won't say everyone. A lot yep. of people did, you know, like grew up, born into families that are rich in duck hunting. But most hunters anymore learn to duck hunt either on mm-hmm. their own or their buddy heard about it and they went out and they bought a dozen hot by mallards yeah. or 
you know, even six better decoys or mm-hmm. whatever. They didn't have layout blinds. They hid in the brush. They hid in the weeds. I started in college. I had yeah. no decoys. I had a buddy that had a couple dozen, and we literally would lay on the pond bank and pull grass yeah. from his uh, landscaping, the you know, the monkey grass or whatever, the mm-hmm. ornamental grass. We'd pull that up, take it with us, and try to hide. Oh, really? You can get in, and we killed a lot of ducks. <clears throat> I mean, it's you don't have to have all the the stuff that just makes it fun I'm sure the wives and the girlfriends or the parents enjoyed you guys ripping their ornamental grass out <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. he actually rented the house my co-worker <laughs> kevin gave us uh his one year <clears throat> and then we put it on the the wire fence the the, the cheap grade yep. and then zip tied right and hide behind it yeah that's <clears throat> how they made the sandhill blind last year they just literally took three t-posts and mm-hmm. drove them in the ground and then just kind of wrapped Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Stuff, stuff around them. You can go cheaper, and I've hunted in duck blinds that I guarantee cost $10,000 to build the things. I mean, they've Jeez. got electric, plumbing. Yeah. You know. I've seen them before down in uh, southwestern Kentucky, and I think this is at a guide or an outfitter, but they actually have like a kitchen in there. Like, oh, I mean, I've sure. been in those, too. I've yeah. eaten sausage and everything in the duck yeah, blinds. A friend of mine has a pit that it shoots as many as 18 guns. Mm-hmm. It has an entire kitchen couch sitting area that's underneath, under completely dark. You can't see. Yeah. They have stoves, ovens. You stay the night in it. Oh, I mean, you could easily stay the night. There's sump <laughs> pumps running to keep water out of the thing. I mean, it's they That's have r- generators. Ridiculous. You could live in them. But. That sounds absolutely ridiculous. But let's say that you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. That. So okay. I'll just talk about myself. I've got my Remington 870. I've got my deer hunting camo, and I do have a farm pond. 200 yards from my house. You've got everything you need. You have everything I had when I started, except I had a Winchester. Okay, well, I mean, same, same boat, same boat. I still have a yeah. speed pump and an 870. Yeah. That so, 1300 speed pump, is a, that's what, that was my waterfowl gun for years. So if you wanted to get into it and that's all you had, kind of like I am, what do you, well, I mean, would you need a call, calls? You, so a call helps, yeah. but I didn't have a call starting. You have to learn how to call. Yeah. You don't have to be a champion caller to attract ducks. You have to know how to make a quack sound, which is not that difficult. If yeah. you ride around with it in your pickup truck, you'll have it down yeah. in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. Now, there's definitely some that are better than others, people, yeah. you know, but I started myself <laughs> with a Haydale or a uh, Buck Gardner duck caller, the only mm-hmm. two I ever had when I was in college learning. I didn't, I, my dad took me to, to Arkansas as a kid, we uh, we, we owned a grocery store, and mm-hmm. the company that we bought groceries from would send uh, my dad on a uh, on a trip. And so the only duck hunting I really knew as a kid was a guided hunt, where all I did was sit and shoot ducks. Yeah. But when I got to college, so we sold the the grocery store, and uh, when I was a kid, and I wanted to keep going, and so I basically had to learn it all. Yeah. And, you know, I, I bought a cheap duck call. I did not know how to use it when I was with friends that knew. They told me do not. Make any noise with that thing. Keep it decent. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's that before. It's better not to call. I mean, we don't. Yeah, a lot on, of, we hunt. We never call. A lot of people call way too much. So you don't need much. It, it helps and it's more fun. So the, yeah. you buy the duck call if you want to get in. They're cheap. You can buy one for $20. That's a good call, starter call. Again, you're not going to win a calling contest, but yeah. you're going to have fun playing with it. And then when you get out, the decoys give the duck somewhere to land. Okay. So you're you're trying to trick them into landing on this side of the, the hole, the, the pond, mm-hmm. whatever you have. Uh, I grew up farm pond hunting. That's where I learned. A lot of people in central Kentucky do it. Yeah. And um, we had a farm pond. It's a pretty good-sized pond, so you wanted them to land over here. You yeah. Know, that's getting the shot. If you're much more than 40 yards, you're not going to take the shot, yeah. period. And, and 40 is on that. You better be pretty good at 40 yards. So the decoys help you put them right where you want them. It just kind of gives them a place to land. And people used to decoy ducks and geese with milk jugs mm-hmm. painted. I mean, 
So they don't have to be super fancy. Wide no. uh, grocery no. bags, I've heard exactly. of Exactly. There are so staked. many decoys that have killed ducks over the years that you would never look at that and say, that's a duck. You know, so decoys can be really expensive. I'm, I've seen them for 180 bucks a, a shell, and sure. I'm sure they go up from there. So is there a re- like I don't know if ducks and geese are getting smarter or well, if it's just that people want. So ducks and geese are not getting smarter. Ducks and geese don't live two years. Yeah. You know, that knowledge of years and years and years being hunted doesn't get passed on from duck to yeah. duck to duck. So very few live that long. But they are hunted from September mm-hmm. until they get here Thanksgiving Day. They've been shot at since September 1st yeah. from the prairies all the way down. Those birds have seen a spread or two. Yeah. And so the the, the call shy ducks, the decoy shy ducks, that, that's the better decoys help with birds that have already seen it. Yeah. So in central Kentucky, we don't have the mass numbers. You know, that's the type of hunting that I learned. It was either a bird that's going to work or a bird that's not. A bird that wants to land on the pond you're on, if you've got a handful of decoys that aren't that great, if he wants to be there, he is going to aim for those decoys. Yeah. Now, if that bird has a lot of options or is not necessarily wanting to land there and you kind of quacked at him and he looked, a better decoy might help finish that bird. So mm-hmm. when you say it seems like their learning curve is kind of over the course of a season, right? Sure. So, so I know we got a lot of resident geese here, and a lot of mm-hmm. that makes up a lot of what we harvest, right, especially during the earlier part of the season? Yeah, right? absolutely. As far as Canada geese goes, in central yeah. Kentucky, most of our – it's the, the birds that were – we're born here. So. so say you are hunting those migratory birds. Maybe you're in the western part of the state and you got more of them coming through or something like that. Would it would it so do we hunt them on their on their flight flight down and back up or do we just get them going one way? Just coming down and it? mostly it's coming down. Yeah, okay. so migration's funny. You'll have a north wind and you've got birds that you know are they're coming out of the sky mm-hmm. and they're falling and you know these are you know sitting in a in a, in a pit in Ballard and you look up and there's birds coming out of the clouds on a strong, nasty north wind day. Mm-hmm. Those are migrators that have been north coming in. Yeah. But a warm front, after a two-week warm front, you may have birds that have been south kind of bumping back up a little mm-hmm. bit, just messing around. So migration is not a one-way yeah. ticket. They can bump back and forth. But in general, everything we shoot is uh, mallard-wise especially, duck-wise, they, they've Grown up, they were born on the prairies, and they're mm-hmm. coming. coming so that's south. why I was curious: is if uh, the further north you went, so not really regarding Kentucky, but the further north you went, if the quality of decoys mattered less. You know what I mean? Probably. So yeah. I've done a lot of hunting in North Dakota. You're shooting a lot of young birds uh-huh. that have never seen a decoy before. So just throw something out there. Yeah, that, back when I I haven't been in several years, I had kids and started yeah. staying home a lot more. Yeah. But the, back when we used to go, we didn't have the best decoys at all. I mean, we had several decoys, but they were affordable decoys and yeah. stuff that a bunch of young guys put together through the years and i mean we when you when i was there you were looking at the pond you'll limit out on not the pond you'd see ducks you know kill yeah. ducks on it's mm-hmm. just you're gonna limit out if you had a handful of decoys so you don't have to have the nicest stuff to get started so i'm just from my perspective season's in i've got my shotgun i've got my camo i've got my farm pond mm-hmm. so i could go and I, i've by my sportsman so i've got my migratory bird permit also and i've already mm-hmm. done hip so all that's taken care of um, I need to go get a federal duck stamp. Yep, at yep. the post office. Yeah, at 25 bucks, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And it actually is a stamp. Sankster has his attached to his yeah, license. Yeah, it is a physical stamp. Yeah. It's a collected stamp. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say a lot of people out there have all of the ones they bought over the years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got mine. Yeah, yeah, I keep them. So I would go buy that, and then you're saying that maybe I could go buy three or four decoys. 
I'm sure that you can find somewhat yeah. cheaper decoys. Generally, so you can check eBay, Craigslist, yeah. stuff like that, uh, and, Facebook and Marketplace. You can. After season two, I've bought a lot of my waterfowl gear. Um, in February, after the season, they'll have massive discounts and clearances on them. Right, and a lot of I mean, <clears throat> you can trade them. Like, so you see on like the Facebook Marketplace, I've got a an older bow looking to trade for yeah. a couple dozen goose decoys or yeah. whatever. You know that they're out there. But uh, you can go buy brand new ones. You can go buy uh, either a half dozen or a dozen packs. You know, you got to get some weights and string to put on to, to make them work. Yeah. Well, that's not too bad. No. Nah, for easily for a hundred, couple hundred dollars, you can be 100. outfitted for the entire season. Yeah. No, My no, buddy James and I, we have two digs for yeah. our little pond. Yeah. And <clears throat> sometimes we'll put out that little flapper that makes a, mm-hmm. a little bit of a wave on the water so it looks a little bit more realistic. And, some years you don't even have to go make up the blind. You can just get a brush, camo up decently, and you can hammer. Oh, absolutely! And you don't necessarily even need a pond, right? If you have a cornfield. Yeah. So uh, ducks and geese both dry feed very, very much. I mean, yeah. that is a huge part of of uh, puddle ducks now. Not yeah. diving ducks aren't going to be in a cornfield. But yeah, that makes sense. When you're talking mallards and geese, uh, a lot of my hunting is in dry fields, and it's, it's one of my favorite kinds. I mean. That's one of those you really need to scout. Uh-huh. I mean, you need to be in the path. You can talk birds into a field, but if you find a field they're using, if you get there and throw some blocks out, you will have a good time because okay. they want to be. They know there's food there. That's where they were yesterday. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good. They time. kind of go to the same spot over and over until the food's gone or something bothers them. Yeah. yeah. Do you put out? How do you decoy spread or when when you field hunt? So that's that's some of my friends I hunt with. We laugh all the time. We started hunting together. We had like six full body geese and a couple silhouettes or some junky looking stuff and and we killed limits of geese. Now when we show up, we he, my buddy has a box trailer full of Bigfoot and Greenhead gear geese and mm-hmm. shells and sil. I mean, we put hundreds out now. I mean, we have some probably have more better hunts than we used to, but literally we started with nothing and had a just as good a success on some days as putting out a hundred or two hundred birds in a in a set. So. Well, hearing all that makes me feel like a little bit more confident I could go do it. Because one of the things about waterfowl hunting is that from an outsider looking in, it just seems really technical. You know, like there's a lot of stuff you need. You, there's a lot you need to know. And for somebody like, I mean, you can walk out in the woods with a, a rifle and start deer hunting on your own and not feel too um, out of place, you know. Mm-hmm. But when right. you try to go out there, it's, it just seems like there's a mental block to going waterfowl hunting for the first time when you haven't done it before. But you're, I mean, you're saying that that's just in my head. It is. You'll get in it, and you will get technical. I mean, yeah. you're going to get it if if you like the sport. Uh-huh. You're going to the next year. You're going to buy more decoys. You're going to yeah. buy a better duck call, and then the year after that, they're going to be a new spinning wing or a new motion decoy of some sort. Yeah. Man, I could really use that. You you might spend a hundred dollars a year, but in ten years, you've got a, a quite the collection of yeah. stuff. I guess that's probably how most it's, people do it. It is. I mean, very few people go out and spend three thousand dollars and mm-hmm. just for one year's. That's not going to happen to, for the average hunter. So what are you seeing this year right now? Well, it's Reports have been very... Uh, so I've got a report from somebody, too. They said it's they haven't quite seen as much this year as they... Right, so we don't have a lot of birds yet. Yeah. Um, we checked the banding data this morning. So we banned at Ballard and Slews WMA mostly in the yeah. winter. And birds banded in Kentucky the past few winters are still being shot in northern illinois or further than that so which tells me the majority of the mallards that come through kentucky probably are still to our north definitely some are down here now some have already come through but mm-hmm. there's still a lot of birds to the north of us so okay. 
we don't have huge numbers yet. Um, there were flights and reports coming from Missouri and Illinois. They're still seeing tons and tons of birds on the Mississippi, okay. mm -hmm. on the refuges out there. So birds are stacked up. We need another big, strong, cold push. We need some deep snow and some yeah. cold weather to, to go. snow on Sunday, here at least. I don't mm -hmm. know. Right, that's, and that's what we need. So yeah. hopefully that comes through. And uh, the, the reports I've heard, so some diving, uh, diving duck hunters on Kentucky Lake have, have done well, but it's, it, you know, Diving duck hunters, they're looking for golden eyes, canvas backs, mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that's their their trophy hunt, I guess. A lot of uh, buffalo heads and stuff that are being – some people don't like to shoot buffalo heads. Uh, Drake buffalo head is as pretty a duck as you will ever shoot. And mm -hmm. so I'm seeing some pictures uh, put on Facebook and whatnot of some buffalo head shoots. And so we have some birds, and people yeah. are having success. Um, I've got some friends at Ballard right now sent me a text today of a – I didn't count ducks, but it looked like a four-man, six-duck limit of Ballard and Gadwall. Oh, wow. So, Ballard is not full of ducks. They, they've got birds, but uh, the number, I haven't got the report yet on uh, how many birds they have. But uh, last week, I mean, you're, I would say it's low numbers for four Ballard WMA yeah, but being the, seen. And you're really saying it's just seasonal, though. I mean, it's just this time of year. Yep. And we also have a backwater on there. You know, Boatwright WMA right now, the river's kind of in that odd stage where you can't drive in, but it's not deep enough to get a boat in to hunt the backwater. So mm -hmm. there's birds have some protected areas to get away from hunters right now. And that, that hurts, you yeah. know, when you're, when you're as far as hunting reports go. Uh, you can have 100,000 birds if you can't get to them to hunt them. Nobody's killing birds. Where are the majority of our waterfowl hunters located? Because, I mean, the people I know are just here in the bluegrass region, air that, quotes. That I used to think I knew the answer to that question yeah. until I saw a report given to us from one of the joint ventures that uh, pulled census data with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Survey data or whatever that showed where are the counties that had the most waterfowl hunters. And so I would have told you along the Mississippi and Ohio rivers where our duck hunters are mm -hmm. or along the two big lakes, Kentucky and yeah, Barclay Lake is where the duck hunters are. Up around Henderson is where the, the duck hunters are. Yeah. But with the goose population in central Kentucky and the lack of migrating Kentucky geese that or Canada geese that make it to Kentucky anymore, uh -huh. they kind of it's like short stop. They just it doesn't get cold enough to send them south. There's more food available now in the the mid-latitude states basically so they don't come in the numbers they used to come okay. into western kentucky mm -hmm. there are a lot of waterfowl hunters in central kentucky yeah so, seems like it yeah. that's where your populations are too now your diehard guys the guys who's my granddaddy hunted you know he taught my dad dad's taught me my son's already in the blind with me that's going to be your western kentucky culture the, mm -hmm. the henderson culture you know but yeah a lot of guys in central kentucky mm -hmm. out chasing birds now of course we have the farm pods you yeah. know yeah. absolutely there's a lot of water around mm -hmm. here now a friend of mine said he's still seeing wood ducks along a creek here um, not far from frankfurt so and we were talking earlier that means that we're still waiting on those other birds yeah wood ducks are they're one of the early ones to leave out and mm -hmm. the mallards kind of replace them you know we have we, wood ducks breed and, and are here all summer long mm -hmm. and they uh which they come from northern states too don't get me wrong we yeah. have some northern wood ducks mm -hmm. that come through kentucky but i saw several wood ducks killed the first two weeks of you know the thanksgiving split and then, not just that but there's an early season for wood ducks also yeah september yes. so a lot the september you know we have thousands and thousands and thousands that are could potentially get shot i would not say you have potential to see thousands and thousands of wood ducks uh -huh. by the time the second segment opens i'm sure they're you know they're birds in some holes but i saw a lot of pictures of wood ducks in the bag so hmm. i mean that means we're just we need a little more cold weather seems like the people i know scout wood ducks different too 
Like uh, it's a different critter. Well, no. they run trail cameras for wood ducks, yep. and I think that uh, you know, preseason, you know, back in I guess it would be July and those times of year, they'll they'll go out there and they'll put corn out and put a trail camera over it right next to the creek just to see if there's wood ducks in the area. Yep. And yep. if if they get wood ducks on camera, then that's an area they'll go back and hunt when season comes out. And that's a I know people that do that as well mm-hmm. to to in preparation for the early wood duck season. You know, wood ducks are on creeks. Yeah. But and mm-hmm. how do you target a bird that it just flies a creek? You know, they're mm-hmm. not really looking for anything in specific. They're, there's food all over a creek. Yeah. So they'll have a little bait station, just like we bait for banding yeah. efforts, and we use the trail cameras the same yeah. way. I know hunters that do that, but to, you better have, be sure that there's that not, is a, going. Yep, not a speck of bait 10 right. days before the hunt. You know I mean? Oh, yeah. It's, so is it 10 days or two weeks, right? The, the bait has to be gone? Either two weeks or 10 days. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's two weeks for turkey. So I'm assuming it probably transfers over. Yeah, I'd have to look. Uh, it's two weeks would be safer. Yeah, yeah, might as well make it 15 <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if you're out smallmouth fishing too, um, I see a lot of wood ducks, and and especially as we get in the uh, late summer. Yeah. Uh, and we've put out a ton of wood duck boxes. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. Rocky and everybody. They put them on on some of the the tributaries to Elkhorn here, and and so you, you'll see a ton. That's where James was seeing them the other day. But when they're past shooting like that, man, they are hauling the mail when oh, they're absolutely. coming through. When they're, yeah, they're up there, that's a really target. challenging target. I'll tell you, a wood duck will scare the fire out of you too. <laughs> I've been, I've been like creeping along a, a creek just as quiet as I could he deer did. hunt before, and then all of a sudden, I can't do the noise. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying, but they'll <laughs> take off. And I was waiting one time, and uh, a Susie had young with her. And I heard boop 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 boop. I was like, "What is making that noise? It's an animal." I looked around, and then. I see Susie, and she's just kind of telling me, you, you need to get on the other way. <laughs> and she had her young with her, and I turned around and walked the other way. But, yeah, uh, they're neat to watch. Yeah, it was cool the way she was letting me know, hey, yep. you're, you're coming into. Have you ever had that happen to you? Oh, yeah. We used to do wood duck surveys trying to count the broods, and the the motherly instinct, is it's it's impressive on, on a lot of birds. But the wood ducks, you get to watch them come after me come after me leave them off and the babies yeah. are scattering for the weeds and it's it's pretty neat mm-hmm. the uh i usually see them in pairs too mm-hmm. it's usually just two sometimes i guess maybe four but i'm assuming that's two pairs well four is always going to be two pairs right <laughs> but you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean last i heard <laughs> yeah. yeah but so uh, do they group up like that like a mating pair or something it depends on the time of year yeah okay. so in so late summer you're going to see uh, uh the hens with their brood still mm-hmm. following around you know prior to that you'll see the breeding pair that picked out a nest box and set up their mm-hmm. their territory or whatever so but it very much depends on the time of year as to when they're hanging out and whatnot so so what uh, wood ducks are just kind of different because like you said they're they're, they're incredibly li- gorgeous the male is well, not just, oh, sure. they live on the creeks like you said mm-hmm. so what is their typical predator going to be so anything from great horned owls coyotes bobcats uh, turtles uh, turtles will will e- you know easily take a duck down i've yeah. seen it firsthand yeah uh bat large big bass will yeah, oh, yeah. swallow a, a, a duck yeah. i mean uh there's baby duck baby wood duck fishing lures now oh uh, yeah savage I've gear they've got a amazing little buzz bait the feet of the buck i've the, seen i've seen them blades i mean they're too expensive for me to buy but yeah they're I'm, pretty expensive rigs, like 18 dollar bait that's mm-hmm. one i don't want to hang up in a tree <laughs> yeah i've got those five baits they're 14 a piece i've got three of them yeah. you almost don't want to fish out. them they're cranking out over you know 10 or 12 babies per yeah. clutch that, that get to jump out of the nest and then, so they can lose a few oh they're gonna lose a few yeah so i'd say if they hatch one or you know successfully one or two make it yeah then that's a that's a good thing man 
So, a, lot, a lot of predators. Big, <laughs> big fatality right there. Yeah, I believe wood duck tastes the best. It is very good. Yep, very, never, very good. Never had it. Gonna have delicious. The, the three always here: wood duck, green wing tail, and mallard. That's the, mm -hmm. the three that everybody claims are the, are the best. And I feel like uh, when I'm thinking about okay, I'm gonna try this this year, even if I have to do it on my own. I just feel like geese would probably be the easiest thing to go out and do. Is that? For, for where we're sitting right now in Frankfurt, geese are easier to, it's easy, pretty easy, I won't say easy, but to find access to a farm that has some geese using it. Yeah. Um, geese are, you got to do the scouting unless you can blow goose call. Goose call does help with, mm -hmm. with goose hunting. Um, but there's plenty here. So yeah. they're scattered out on, right now especially, they're, they're not in large groups. And once everything freezes up, they start kind of congregating because mm -hmm. they need open water to roost in basically. And so they're going to congregate and get into bigger groups then. But early in the year, they're still in smaller, smaller groups. And it's easy to gain access on a, on a farm pond they want to be on. Yeah. Then you can put yourself in a, in a spot to, to get after geese. How many of the geese, because I'm on campus here, what do we got? Do you know how many geese we have on campus? Today, I haven't counted, but we've banned it. You know, we can, it's a lot. It's, there's yeah. no, it's no problem at all to catch 100 geese. And right. we usually don't catch as many as we catch. So I was going to say, I've had to guess, I'd say there's 200 geese easily, within 100 yards of us right there, now. Yeah, easily could be 200 birds are, here. Are they, now, obviously, nobody's hunting here. Right, but do you think these birds are traveling off this campus? And oh, sure, yeah, I know a guy that hunts just south of us. Uh, I guess it'd be a little bit west and south of yeah. us. He's got a pond. They leave here and go over there. So he's getting some bands. Uh, I, he should. Yeah. <laughs> he should. I was curious. I was just curious how resident these resident geese are. So. Kind of wish he'd shoot more of them. Yeah, the, I mean they move for sure, and even the especially if you like to walk around. Here. <laughs> they they leave all kinds of uh, gifts. Yep. So one thing that I see, so the resident birds, so the horse farm country birds. You know, there's a lot of sprinklers on those ponds, mm -hmm. but not all of them will stay open. Yeah. So there's a few places that have open water that, you know, every goose from one county may congregate on one hole of water Jeez. because they're the only ones yeah. that have a big enough hole of water uh -huh. you know if you see this place in january or february when everything's frozen there's frozen. a lot more than 200 geese there, oh my been, god there could be 500 yeah because we do have a easily. sprinkler right we do mm -hmm. so we keep our pond open for them right hmm. so that the frozen water chain is a game changer for goose okay. hunting Hmm. And for duck, if you can find a pond that's spring fed we're lucky the one we hunt is spring fed and it stays open Long after everything hardens up, and if you can find that in January, you've got a honey hole. That is one of my contend. favorite situations in it, in the country that we live in. These mm -hmm. little spring-fed ponds, it's a just a hot spot. You know, they're they're roosting on these big bodies of water, on open bodies of water, on a lake or whatever. And there's not a lot of food there. These little spring-fed ponds have a lot of vegetation that they can access and warm water. Yeah, so they're warmish. You know, it's a, and it stays it's a, open, and I mean you'll. That's a magnet, yeah. I've had gabwall come in where the sky was just black with them, you know, right, right. right at first light. And it's, well, that makes your heart get up in your throat. Yeah, especially exciting. if they're too small to roost on. That's my favorite <clears> one because <throat> they have to go somewhere else and you can get, have that's time to get set is. up. I mean, and, you can throw a rock hide. across it. Yep. So, so I, like I said, talking about my gear, I got that Remington 870 12 gauge. Is it, is it necessary to shoot three and a half inch shells or can I get Absolutely not. I rarely okay. use a three and a half inch shell. Because mine's not, a, not an express mag, it's just a regular. Now, if you're goose hunting, you want a powerful pellet. Mm -hmm. You know, you want something that's carrying enough kinetic well, energy to get the birds down. Do you always have to shoot steel shot also? Yes. Well, yes. a non toxic shot. Yeah. It could be the steel would be the cheap stuff. Because tungsten would be another option. That is a, the best option, I guess. The bismuth tungsten and stuff like that, it has more. 
properties of lead. As I've far also, as you can use the smaller shot with as much knockdown, but it's steel shot. Um, you're you're going to have to use a bigger pellet than yeah. you would with those others. I've heard of tungsten costing costing upward of four dollars a shot. Exactly. Which, you're you're looking at you know a thirteen to fifteen dollar box versus a twenty five to fifty dollar box. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! No, yeah. I'll stick Some with of steel. Them are Several dollars of trigger pull. Yep. So what, what's the difference? I, would uh, I know what the difference in lead and steel, obviously, is. Lead's more dense. Exactly. As is tungsten, but lead has some toxic toxic properties. Yep. So, so for years and years, folks, used lead shot. And uh, you being a freshman, you, you heard the argument yeah. of going away from lead sinkers and everything. Mm -hmm. Same yeah. migratory birds. They were hit with lead shot. Lead shot being scattered all over these reservoirs, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's fish and taking lead from the bottom or the actual birds themselves being taken by eagles or found dead and being hit by eagles other non-target species were dying at a very rapid rate okay. based on the toxicity of the lead well it doesn't take much lead at all to kill a bird okay and so that bird would die and if another predator gets on that yeah. it passes on yeah. and potentially two or three birds is dying from so really, one lead pellet so it probably had more to do with protecting well i mean obviously if those geese are going to die if they get hit with lead too but protecting other animals in the environment right okay that yeah. makes perfect sense it's it's been an unmitigated tremendous success yeah absolutely i the, mean the ban of lead it's we, we have numbers now that as you said before the good old days are right now i think you yep you know as and, far as and, duck numbers. And that's a hard battle. I mean, if you think the amount of lead that's used in the sporting industry, yeah. whether it's a lead bullet or a lead sinker or lead shot shell, mm -hmm. I mean, that is a, a staple of the industry. Probably a big part of and, the – they probably have some pull. Is yeah, what I was so to, now you have to convince people, yeah, rich and poor, that that is a bad thing. And it was a hard battle that uh, my predecessors fought. And uh, But – there's so much research out there yeah. you cannot read it and deny it that, i mean that it's real no it makes sense i mean i see that's one of those things i don't know if it was just like a california pushing something no, on us you know no, no, it's 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 uh, when it's i first heard it that was my exact thought but it is was it was your exact well docket that oh this is just was, stuff uh, that it, it was california stuff. the it same was, reason we all got safety indicators on our pistols now exactly. and stuff like yep. that yep. so but it's it's not you every yep. study that's ever tried to debunk the lead is bad for you thing failed i mean yeah. lead is bad for the environment so that makes perfect sense and that's why i mean i guess when you're shooting at rabbits or squirrels or turkey it doesn't really matter a whole lot because that shot's going just straight into the dirt nothing's going to consume it right and uh well, you waterfowl hunt on the same spots year after year the yeah. same body of water the same 40 yard hole mm -hmm. yeah. is where you and all your buddies are sending thousands of pellets a year yeah. into the water so you're also you know crippling a bird or two here but but the main thing is it's just in the soil yeah. you know but you know dabbling ducks they go down and pick around in the soil if there's lead pellets you know birds use rocks yeah. as teeth they don't yeah. have teeth they it's have to pick up rocks right? to make grit yeah that lead gets into the crawl it you get the yeah. uh, toxic properties from the lead kills the bird bird washes up and eagle eats that bird the eagle dies another eagle sees that one and so when buzzard sees it or whatever it's when did a, when did this happen oh mercy it's <sighs> 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, Late 70s. 70s. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't think it was that far back, but it's at least the 80s. So I was yeah. trying to figure out if there were maybe a correlation between, because eagles are booming. We got uh, oh. osprey are all over the place. Yep. We've got uh, our falcons are, are doing really well. Right. So I don't know if maybe there was a direct correlation where I could say, look at the footprint and what. what well, it's not just lead. I mean, there was yeah. the old DDT pesticide. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was a huge thing. There's a lot of things that we discovered yeah. that were bad for the environment and were killing migratory birds specifically yeah and that have t made a huge turnaround since so I, I saw a presentation at a conference about uh 
a lead ban for deer hunting in a state and its impact on California condors. Mm. And uh, after the, the ban went in, everybody had to shoot copper. They grumbled and uh, didn't like it, but they accepted it. But it really helped the California condor numbers and, and yep. other things that were eating. And uh, we didn't realize when, when a lead bullet hits a deer just how much fragmentation there is throughout the meat. Mm-hmm. And um, so when when they would leave behind stuff and the uh, carrying for the other animals, and they were uptaking a lot of lead. And then after they put the ban in, they were studying these, and, and within a few years, it was it made a big difference. Right. And I'm I'm not saying mm-hmm. that all lead should be banned, and us as sportsmen mm-hmm. should quit using it. But it yep. will not surprise me before I retire if that, you start seeing more change towards mm-hmm. non-toxic stuff. Well, if it one wouldn't surprise me at all. If one state's already moving that direction, and you did say that state was California, though, right? But, well, it was the California condor. I think it was actually Arizona. Okay. Right, and and is in this region. And they had a lot of blowback at, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it did, and, and not only the condors, but other things that, that ate the deer carcasses and the field-dressed deer or the ones that were shot and not found, um, the lead and the I mean they studied some and documented how much lead they were uptaking and it dropped off dramatically that makes sense and, and it improved their breeding success so oh I guess it could have an impact on breeding success mm-hmm. too just through I mean health yeah. in some way I'm sure because uh what is the old that's there's something with people where lead can affect you mm-hmm. know that as well, well. They, they got rid of paint people used to eat paint that was a big thing when i was a little kid why did people eat paint though uh you know it's in poorer areas and the paint would be peeling and, and they would get in there they'd uptake it from that but okay. you know, there well, was lead in the paint and, and it would get into your system and it impacted you made it sound like it was a very common thing people did well i mean well i remember they had commercials about it you know they'd show people eating paint don't or don't play with it and don't crack it because it, it would get the lead uh in a place where you could take it into your body kind of crazy how how things change you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so that's why you don't have lip paint anymore <laughs> we got, got tide pods now yeah. oh yeah that's true. <laughs> you can eat those <laughs> so, so uh, back in lee's earlier years they were yeah eating I, paint. Would, I would peanut butter paint and a honey sandwich was one of my favorites <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it was fun. really crunchy <laughs> i was thinking uh uh, you know, the doctors used to smoke in the doctor's office, right? Oh, before I that, remember that. Before they, that's what I was saying. Before they knew that smoking was so bad. I mean, so it, it seems like, you know, not quite as dramatic, but the whole lead is bad for, you know, the ecosystem type deal kind of following suit, but not quite as obvious because mm-hmm. you'd think that people would realize putting all that tar and stuff in your body was going to be bad for you eventually. But oh well. well, Lord, I mean, you know. I remember people smoked on a plane. I remember people, I think you could smoke in a theater when I was young. Um, any restaurant had tons of smoke. Yeah. That's amazing how it's changed. Yeah. That's <clears throat> it's fun. much better. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, uh, if you, especially when you're in a restaurant, some guy smoking a cigar, it could kind of mess with your steak a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> true. Speaking of steak, we got a good recipe on this weekend's show for venison steaks, or it's actually a, a butterfly cut tenderloin. And I, uh, I went to the store last night and got all the ingredients I need. It's only two ingredients, uh, Dale's low sodium mm-hmm. and, uh, Cavender, Cavenders or something mm-hmm. like that. Greek seasoning? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, yeah I do too. Are, those are the only two things aside from the venison itself that that you need. So I'm going to try to We've whip some of that. We've made trout that way. Rub it with uh, butter and then put Greek seasoning on it and yeah. bake it. It's good. Yeah. So I'm going to try that tonight. Allegro is really good too. 
Okay. That, yeah, I like Allegro a lot. I don't know if I've ever had Allegro. It's it's a Dale's type season, teriyaki or soy based, I guess. Kind of salty. I cook a, I cook a lot. Like I mean, I cook four or five meals a week. Cause typically, I meal prep and bring my stuff in here, and I, I cook enough for two or three meals at a time. But I don't get very fancy. It's pretty much salt, pepper, garlic powder. You know, I throw some uh, other stuff on there. But I stay very, very basic. So I probably need to start venturing out. And I, for some reason, I felt like last night when I bought Dale's and Aiden Cavender's or whatever, however it's pronounced, mm -hmm. that I was doing something. But apparently that's stuff everybody has always been using <laughs> for, for everything. I mean, one of the easiest things to do camping is get some deer tenderloin, soak them in Dale's. And overnight can, can get a little bit strong, but several hours. That's it. Grill them till they're medium rare, and my God, fantastic. The, the recipe that Chad, well, it's a, the easiest freaking recipe ever, so I'll just go ahead and tell you what it is. He's taking the tenderloin, right? Cutting the silver seam off, so he just got the, the tenderloin meat itself. Yeah. And he's butterflying it. So basically, he's cutting, you know, maybe uh, an inch down from the top of the tenderloin. He's cutting maybe three quarters or four fifths the way through it. Just And then he cuts uh, that far down again. He actually cuts through it. So you have and maybe a two inch thick piece of that tenderloin that's cut in the middle almost all the way through. Mm -hmm. And then that'll just open up and that's your butterfly. Yep. He's soaking it in Dale's for 30 minutes to an hour mm -hmm. while he gets the grill heated up to 400 degrees. Once the grill's sitting at 400, not still going up, you wanna make sure it's sitting at 400. Then he throws it on the grill, uh, puts some the Cavendish seasoning on it, five minutes aside, flips it, same thing, five minutes aside and it's done. And apparently it's just amazing. It is. I've, I've had it similar to that. So that's how I'm going to do it. So, And I'm also kind of curious. I haven't, my, I put my grill up when it starts getting cold because I'm not going to be out there doing a whole bunch of, you know, chicken breast and hot dogs anymore. Right. So I was wondering if you could stovetop that. I'm sure you could just in a skillet. Yeah. It probably wouldn't be as good, but I'm sure it or would work. Or use the broiler in your oven, maybe. Yeah, yeah you could do that. Hmm. Well, how do when you use them? Because I thought about this. Because you almost want that. Uh, the grill is direct heat. Your broiler is the same way. Yeah. That's a direct heat source. It's only coming down from one side. Well, you I was need to use a broiler pan too, though, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Well, the grill. So it's direct heat from from underneath. But when you have the lid closed, you're also getting heat all sure. all around it. When you're going stovetop, you're really just getting direct heat on one surface. Right. And that's it. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if I put something down in the oven, right? And could I cook the steaks in there with the heat surrounding them like that? With yeah, so like Lee just said, a broiler pan uh -huh. would allow the steak to sit up. Mm -hmm. The heat's going to hit it. The oven's going to capture the heat just like your grill top. Mm -hmm. When you flip it, the broiler pan keeps it up out of the juice. Mm -hmm. And so you're it's it's working the same way as That's the... That's the way a lot of people cook steaks when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, the same way as the grill. You're just not getting the fire. Yeah, well, the fire yeah. adds something. But I have a gas grill, so you don't get that much out of it. Right. I might try it. I don't know if people like hearing about cooking on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yes, that's one of... Uh, it goes hand I in think hand. that's one of the most popular things we, you know. Yeah, I was just chatting to Lee about the, your Muskie podcast. I finally got caught up over the... Oh, yeah. This I've been traveling the last couple of days. I yeah, got yeah. caught up on the Hardens podcast. Oh, yeah. Telling him about the canning meat. So. Yeah. That, remember we were talking about yeah. gigging? I've seen a lot of can... Oh, that was suckers, right? Yep. I've seen a lot of people canning venison lately. Yeah, absolutely. I can a lot of duck, duck and goose and yeah. venison as well. But it, any of your stew meat that you know the little chunks that are left over, you can either have it ground or yeah, just drop it in a quart jar and some salt or beef broth or whatever. You know, follow your canning instructions. There's very specific yeah canner instructions to make sure it's going to be safe to eat. But it's very easy and it takes up less freezer space. You just yeah. put it in a in a cool dry spot mm -hmm. and you don't have your freezer full of frozen 
Like, Might be something to look into. I mean, I guess it keeps for a long time too, right? I do. I guess I, I cooked some goose tacos this week. I guess I cooked them Sunday night, and it was a year old. It was last. Yeah. The last mm-hmm. of my, I guess, from last January is when I but when, when you, I canned it. So. When you can something, now I've never done it, so I don't know how it works. But you basically cook it in the can, right? And then right. and then there's under- there's other recipes. Uh, you know, you I've seen a lot of deer recipes. You brown it before you put it in, and then put it in and can it. You know, several recipes. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the the duck and goose that I do, I literally I chunk it up, put it in the the jar, and uh, I like to add beef broth just it mm-hmm. tames it down just a little bit yeah. and gives it some more flavor mm-hmm. and um, you know you have to have salt and mm-hmm. so um, you got to be careful the canning recipe if you're using the beef broth it'll have some salt in it too mm-hmm. so you want to if you monitor your salt yeah you know mm-hmm. how depending on how salty you want your meat get that salt in there and just hour and 15 minutes in the in the canner uh, in the canner can you do that stovetop with a no you gotta have a pressure canner pressure canner yeah mm-hmm. you can't uh, water bowl give a water bath can a uh yeah. any meat because i've seen people can using just a basically a, a pot of boiling water on mm-hmm. the stove top before yeah. i think so anything i guess it's the acid in the food if it's yeah. low acid food you need to pressure can it to make sure it's cooks hot enough to kill the bacteria okay. otherwise it, the, the acid in the food i guess you will know take the, care of the bacteria in the water bath scenario the blue pans that have the places to put the cans in mm-hmm. are that's what you would do you wouldn't do meat with those, correct? Right. Yeah, that's for tomatoes or yeah. something so like I, cause that. Because I'd help my mom and granddad do it, and it was mainly vegetables from the right. garden. But, and, yep. and she made jellies, and we'd have to get the gulf wax and put a paraffin seal on top of yeah, the jams right. and jellies. Right. And so they would stay. Hmm. Yep. you got to have a pressure canner for sure for the meat, but... Something to Google if you're trying if you want to do that because I don't I would have to Google it I didn't learn enough to because I mean I said it's kind of foreign to me so I would have to get on the internet and that's a great resource we got now the internet Mm -hmm. you can get on there and find anything I was talking to somebody yesterday well you you deer hunt you do everything right Wes sure so my question is what has had a bigger impact on the industry so hunting probably fishing too. Over well, I guess only hunting for this one. Over the past, uh, you know, fifteen years, the internet, smartphones, or trail cameras—they uh, kind of go hand in hand. But I don't think without the internet, I don't think you see all these trail camera pictures mm-hmm. that's going around. So, in my opinion, deer hunting changed for me when I got my first trail cam because now I feel like I know what's out there every yeah. time. You know, before I, I knew where deer like to be, and yeah. you had no idea what would walk in front of you. Yeah. It was always exciting. The trail cam, it kind of gets you targeting a specific animal, and it's fun. You Has know, it taken you, some of the excitement away? No, I, I don't no, think it's so. It's actually, the excitement. I yeah. think it's maybe more exciting because you got something you can do in July. And, mm-hmm. and, and just because you have a trail cam, there's still bucks that walk in front of my stand. Like, where did he come from? Yeah. I've never seen that deer. So that's still there. You see a fish on the depth finder, it doesn't mean you're going to catch it. Yeah, right, yeah, you yeah. Know. Well, and uh, I mean, like trail cameras, I, I hunt right over my trail cameras. I don't put bait out. And I uh, say I might have five or six deer come through and I might get one of those on trail camera. So, I mean, it's really hit or miss, but I think, and I need to talk to Gabe about this. I think trail cameras might be a part of the reason that we're seeing more and more big bucks. Uh, you know, Bill Cooper does that piece for a magazine every fall and it's about the big bucks of Kentucky from yeah. the year before. Yeah. Everyone. Well, I saw this one on the trail cam. I saw this one on yeah. trail cam and I knew it was here. And, you know, almost what? all of them are assisted by trail cam. It gives people a reason to pass that one and a half or two and a half year old because now they, they know, hey, I've got this deer here. And it's not necessarily going to the woods blind. Here comes a two and a half year old that's a pretty decent buck. Well, I'm going to shoot it. Here comes this two and a half year old. I know I have something 
that's a little bigger, so it's probably helping to uh, our deer age a little bit more before they're harvested. That's a good sound effect there. It is. <laughs> that is not bourbon. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's Christmas, it's not bourbon. <laughs> what I love about the trail cams is it extends your deer season. So, so I watched you on your social media stuff. You shot early, oh, yeah. and then you whined about needing to go somewhere else. I, go, know. You know, I know. My deer's done, my deer's done. Trail cameras, to me, extends the season because yeah. you can still play with camera traps and feel yeah. like you're hunting without sitting in the stands. Something, something I really like to do this time of year is uh, carcass cams. Oh, I love them. I yeah. absolutely love You'll them. You'll be, and I right now my trail camera, I only have one working one right now, which is kind of a sad thing, but they got a great deal at Rural King from what I've heard. 50 bucks for a nice Moultrie, 14 mm -hmm. megapixel, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go check that out. But uh, the carcass cams are, are great because you never know what you get. And no. usually you get really cool photos, too. Yeah. You, so You can get an eagle or a bobcat. You just mm -hmm. never know what's going to. Definitely get coyotes, fox, eagle, bobcats, a lot of buzzards. Yeah. Last year, I got a coyote <laughs> attempting to sneak up on a possum. Really? So it, it was neat. The possum was kind of creeping in, and you see the eyes of the coyote in the dark behind it. Possum's clueless, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be a neat set of picks. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, the next pick is the coyote coming in, the possum playing possum. He's literally on his side, curled up with that really? that look of my mouth open, yeah. drooling, and the, the coyote kind of sniffs it. And then the next picture, the possum's still there, the coyote's gone, and then the next picture, the, I don't the know. possum's back up on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that work for a possum, though? Have, uh, you need to smell one. <laughs> no, I, no I've, I've had him play possum on me before. But I'm just, uh, it seems like that coyote would be willing to eat it dead, too, you know. I don't think he knew what it smelled like before he came, yeah. came to it. Well, have you ever smelled a coyote? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. Very that's true. not much better. <laughs> that's very true. I ran, uh, I put out four traps this year. And I just put four snares out directly across the street from my house because, I mean, the landowner wants me to. He actually gave me the snares. And uh, I went and checked them the first time, and I had a double, male and female, in one corner of the fence, fence row. So I pulled those traps because I'm, I'm not trying to do any serious trapping. I just have a, a set of really educated dogs living there, right? Mm -hmm. They know my calls. They always go downwind. And I just can't call them in and get, them on, get a shot at them, right? So I am uh, just trying to get rid of the, a couple of smart ones. And then I can start hunting them because that's how I'd prefer to do it. I'm, I'm a hunter. I trap some, but I'd prefer to call those dogs in, kind of like the interaction that you were talking about right, earlier. It's, right. just, it's just fun. And uh, and then I went back the next day, and I only have two snares up at this point, but I set them up over a carcass, huge male coyote. And I ended up at that point just taking down my fourth one because I said it's not worth it for me to come over here and check one snare every mm -hmm. single day. Right. Yeah. You know. And then I'm kind of glad I did because I had never seen dogs on this property before at all. But the day after that, I, I had, there was a bunch of stray dogs. Somebody's dogs got out. So I was like, well, I'm kind of glad I pulled that snare. Mm -hmm. I don't know if my dog's gotten in my snares before, but it's a kind of a wuss of a dog. <laughs> so he's like down. Yeah, like I, well, he goes with me when I set him sometimes. And I was setting him, and I guess I wasn't paying enough attention. I look over, and he's just sitting there on his butt looking at me with his snare. <laughs> you know, he, he never pulled on it or anything. It's like any resistance at all, he just gives up. So, But uh, I don't know. I, I never really hear people accidentally trapping pets and there's actually uh dog proof locks you can put right. on them yep. and snares are the only thing you got to worry about anyway footholds and things like that they aren't going to hurt the animals so. right mm -hmm. but uh, i need to look into how those dog proof things work because it's kind of curious to me how you could catch a coyote in something but you couldn't catch a blue healer if it also came through right you know what i mean so similar yeah 
I have no knowledge of trapping. That's one of my Laura Palmer. It's on my list. But yeah. She's gonna come. I, I know. I'm just I think I'm getting on her nerves because I've been. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have Laura on. Yeah, that's what uh, you live across the street from her. <laughs> yeah, she needs to come on. It'd be fun. I just want to cubicle world. I just yeah, yeah in the cubicle world. I just need to. I want to talk about bobcats and coyotes and all this stuff. I've been seeing a lot more fox here lately. And uh, I don't know. I just think there's some stuff we could talk about. I did have a, you know what? We're actually getting up there in time. I had a few more things I wanted to, to go through. Technical first beginner, blah, blah, blah. Floating flies picking up right now, Lee. I know you're excited about that. Yes, it's still a little early yet. I uh, saw Greg Brizendine catching five and a half pounders on Dill with it the, earlier this week. Wow. But, I mean, we got a cold front pushing through right now. So there's a good well, chance. Water temperatures on Cumberland were still into the 50s. So Well, you'd say about 45 or below is where you get the floating fly really working Really good. But, but uh, <clears throat> We covered the float and fly on a podcast. It might have been one of our first ones we ever very did. Very first, one of our very first ones. So if somebody's curious how to do that, you should look it up. Really effective way to catch a big smallmouth. You probably in the catch middle of winter. Yeah, yeah. So that's I've caught up. big bluegill. I've caught largemouth spots. Um, got crappie. Uh, you, you can catch a lot of different species on. I'll be honest <clears> with <throat> you, and this isn't going to help sell it at all. It's not my favorite way to fish. I like Chad hates it either. I, I love it. I, would, I like to cast. I like to be casting and casting and casting. Mm-hmm. And the float and fly literally is bobber fishing for big bass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's why I love it. Yeah, but, I mean, you cast a lot, but I've, I've had real good luck with it, too. So something that you have good luck with, you tend to like a lot more. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. You can catch and, and a big 20, 21-inch smallmouth on a eight-and-a-half-foot soft rod is, oh, it's fun. And it then is. another thing uh, that's coming in is muzzleloader season this mm-hmm. weekend. I've never muzzleloader hunted before in my entire life. The, I know a muzzleloader, a pistol, and a shotgun, and a crossbow. Really, I've taken all my deer with a traditional vertical bow and with a, uh, a rifle. I've never, so I'm trying to kind of knock some of those things off off the list and just, you know, experience more as a deer hunter. And muzzleloader, I don't even know one, so I probably won't do it this year. But I hope to still get one with a crossbow. I'm going to be filming muzzleloader hunts, and with the weather coming in, it's supposed to be snowing on Sunday of this mm-hmm. week. Or ice. Yeah, well, that it could make for a great hunt. If there's snow on the ground, that's my favorite time to go deer hunting. And it might just be because it's different, but, I mean, I feel like the deer are up and moving, too. It seems like every year, that first good two to three inches of snow that hits the ground, mm-hmm. like the deer have to be on their feet. Yeah. I don't know why it's it is. It's my favorite time to hunt deer. And it's like the later snow. Great time to rabbit hunt, too. Yeah, rabbit. I love hunting rabbits oh, in yeah, the snow. Absolutely. Pretty much anything in the snow is better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As far as, because I mean, I'm sure as a waterfowl guy, you'd probably agree with Sure, it didn't. I mean, cold weather is better for ducks. I mean, if it's cold, yeah. they're going to get up and feed more. Their body's going to shiver more. My best so. days of, of winter smallmouth fishing on Cumberland have come on snowy, light snowy days. I don't know what the snow does, but it lowers the sky so low, and man, it, yeah. it brings the fish up. Yep. Oh, yeah. So the, the weather coming in this weekend, along with muzzleloader season, should be good for a lot of people. I mm-hmm. plan on, it's actually not just muzzleloader weekend, it's the week-long muzzleloader so i think it is the 8th through the 16th it sounds mm-hmm. right yeah i know it's the 8th through it has to be 8th through the 16th because that'd be a saturday through sunday yes so that's that's something to think about and then also trout should be stocked yes you know and, and another thing um that's great to do you know christmas coming up a lot of people are going to have time off is our catch and release trout streams yeah or, and you the trout don't care that it's cold yeah. And um, and you can catch them just as well in December as you can in April. Um, and the, I love East Fork Indian Creek and the Gorge. That's mm-hmm. a great one. I went there you, last year. I know you I got my that. butt whooped there last year. By, by the honey? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, we went there and uh, we went off your recommendation because you were like, they just stocked some really, some bigger fish in this area. So I told her we're going to go catch these fish and she caught uh, like two rainbows and a brown and I was over there still, you know, like climbing over brush piles trying to find one fish and she actually got me that day. I've done well on if you're uh, fly angler, very small, uh, Clouser minnows and white and chartreuse work or inline spinners work. Yeah. What'd she catch hers on? She was actually throwing a spinning tackle. Yeah. Throwing this tiniest little inline spinner. Yeah. They're deadly. She had a little pink maps and the lightest weight you could possibly think of. Mm -hmm. And I had my fly rod. So I'm going to blame that one. Yeah, that's the problem. On that. Yeah. So I'm blaming that. (laughs) And I've done well on streamers over there. And you know, honestly, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people go to the gorge. A lot of people know it. But if you wanted to go fish, uh, in the gorge, it's almost like an experience in itself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if you go to Indian Indian Creek, like you're talking about, you have to go through the Nada Tunnel to get there. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't been to the gorge before, that's pretty cool. You know, you're on these back roads, and and it's just some wilderness and some terrain that you don't see everywhere else. It, it's it's almost mountain trout fishing. And the uh, Chimney Top Creek, mm-hmm. I ran into some guys while I was hiking in the gorge last Sunday or something like that. They they were three guys and. I actually pulled into the parking lot and they weren't, they didn't have any fishing gear or anything like that. I could just tell that they were wearing like, you know, uh, slip on shoes and they had an Orvis sticker on their truck. And I was like, well, these guys have been fishing. Mm-hmm. So I asked them if, uh, if that's the case and they'd been down there fishing chimney top and they said they'd heard there were good rainbows and browns in there as mm-hmm. well. So I know, didn't we stock some browns in there again? Or that may have been parched corn. Something I think. Uh, parched parched corn. corn is where the brook trail went. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the brook, chimney top has browns, doesn't it? Yeah, ch- chimney top on. has. They say bigger browns. Mm-hmm. I think we stock them up to fifteen inches in chimney top as well as Indian Creek. But the trout that are in parched corn creek are those brook trout, and they are much much smaller. Yeah, and and the creek you can jump across most of parched corn. Yeah. correct. That'd probably be interesting for like a trout. Um, somebody who's out there you know with a two weight rod you want no they're just really wanting to knock out a species or Mm -hmm. you know trying to experience something a little bit different but i'd say the majority of people go after those rainbows and those browns yeah and that'd be the way to go i i like the trout i like to catch and keep trout more because Mm -hmm. they're delicious Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm kind of looking at this pond out here because you said this one is catch and keep (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes i've caught a few out here recently yeah i know you said that you and rick had been walking down there Mm -hmm. i saw risers yesterday so they're still in there are you catching them on fly gear Yes. So I might bring my fly. Usually I keep a spinning rod in the truck at all times just because you never know. Just like I keep a, uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> just like, um, you know, a lot of times uh, I keep other stuff in the truck. You never know when you might need it. During a bow season, early bow season especially, my gear stays in the truck 24-7. But uh, right now I, I don't have anything in there, so I can't really say anything. But um, I might bring my fly rod in next week and try to walk out there and catch some. It's fun. Yeah. Let me know when you're going to do it. And yeah, we should. If it gets decent, we'll go after work for an hour or so. After work or on a 15. Something. Or when we I, cut out and a little early and go catch the, a few. In the summer, I almost always take a 15 and walk down there and just take a few casts in the pond just for the heck of it. You never know. Yeah, never know at all. You guys got anything else you want to add? Well, three more streams that are good. Okay. Um, Otter Creek, a lot of people know in Mee County. We're going there Thursday. Yeah. Next Thursday. That's excellent uh, winter trout fishery. Uh, Floyd's Fork, there at the Parklands of Floyd, tons of access, uh, um, and and pretty good trout. Yeah. And if you want to really experience a mountain trout stream, Rock Creek down in McCreary County, excellent access. And we put fifteen thousand trout in there a year. It's a lot of holdovers from earlier stockings. Um, 
it's a very much a mountain trout experience and there's a gravel road that goes on parallels it pretty much from the Tennessee line to the mouth. So fantastic access. So Good that's deal. another one that's uh, it's near the Big South Fork uh, National River Recreation Area. Big uh, South Fork is one of the prettiest places I've it, ever it's been. It's incredible. I don't know. Devil's Jump there. Is that that's a Big South Fork, right? Yep. Yeah, that's an awesome spot. Yeah, it is. And and I've been on uh, fortunate enough to go on some mussel uh, stockings there in the very remote regions of Big South Fork. And, oh yeah, uh, just incredible a place called Shiprock. I'm just some of the prettiest scenery in Kentucky. It's hard to beat how pretty that area is. It's, the it's rock, amazing. the rock castle, and, and Rock Creek is a little miniature version of it. it's beautiful. It has gigantic boulders. Sometimes the creek squeezes through boulders that are the size of two houses. Oh wow! And then then it goes into a pool. So it's very neat. And I just don't think during the winter it gets much use at all. So if you want to get away from it all, have good fishing. Don't mind to drive a little bit. Rock Creek and McCreary County is a really good bet for you. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. Like we talked about just a minute ago, with the weather coming in, it's going to snow. It should be great for deer hunting. Um, fall turkey goes out tomorrow, so that's irrelevant. But snow probably wouldn't help the turkey hunting. That might be one thing that wouldn't help. Yeah, probably not. They're going to lock up in those trees yeah. for a long time. It's so you, you got, uh, as you said, waterfowl's in, and things should be getting only better from here. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they, I mean, we typically we said the bird. get all our ducks in the middle of December through yeah. the end of you know, end of February, obviously, but uh, a couple of things I did want to say, Let's I hear. get questions Let's a lot and yeah. so, while you've given me oh, a mic. I've got a question for you too, so go for it. All right. So uh, the duck bag limits, it, it's six ducks, mm-hmm. period. Yes. One of the most common questions I get is if it's not listed in the guide, can I shoot it? So things like, you know, we get a couple sea ducks. Uh, you might get a, mm-hmm. the, a, a long-tailed duck or what used to be old squaw or some scoters or whatever that mm-hmm. come through. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, if it's not a protected species, then it is part of your six duck bag. So, uh, another common question that should be easy, um, is how many gadwalls can I shoot? Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. not listed how many yes. I can shoot. So that's six. Mm-hmm. Any species that is not listed of having a specific limit, like mallards, you can have four, only four, two hens. Two hens yeah. You know, canvasbacks, you can only shoot two. Um, there's specific wood ducks, you can only shoot. And that's uh, kind of so. based on, rarely are you going to have six gadwall to shoot or golden eye or whatever in kentucky is that correct uh, not necessarily i've got a couple of holes that i know of that uh, we call them the gadwall hole you know yeah. the, it, it's not my hole it's not a, a friend you want to come hunt the gadwall hole or whatever uh at ballard yesterday i have some friends that shot uh, nothing but gadwall on mm-hmm. opening day of ballard so you can definitely get into to, to gadwall but i just want to throw that out there because it, it gets asked a lot is yeah. if it's not mentioned in the guide you can take six. You can have six of them. And okay. it, also, if it's not a protected species. I've had people argue with me saying that's counter, but why would you, there's more mallards, why are you protecting mallards but not gadwall? So, a lot, in a lot of places you'll run into yeah, it. A lot so of places are, you may, gadwall are pretty There hard. are more, but there's significantly more mallards that are harvested. Yes. So, yeah. we, we do not harvest enough gadwall. That's why you can shoot six. Same with teal. You know, blue-winged teal are, are very abundant, and they do not get, harvested enough so we offer extra teal seasons mm-hmm. so we can try to to take advantage of some of these birds that are going to die anyway you yeah. know their natural conditions will take care of these birds so we would rather hunters shoot those birds than than they just starve to death yeah so, it makes sense makes so, perfect sense so i wanted to throw that out there for okay, sure we That's get that question a lot um i'd like to add a paragraph or two in the guide next year maybe explain that a little better right there you go and we're doing our surveys winter surveys have started ground counts are on several wmas uh get 
questions a lot. When are you going to post the numbers? When you uh, you know they come in all week. Every WMA does it on a different day, so I try to get them to get them to me by Thursday, mm-hmm. and hopefully we get them online on Friday. You can go to our website, click the hunt tab, and there's a button there that says waterfowl surveys. It's up top, very yep, top, right at the top. So that's where our numbers. That's going to cover Ballard, Boatwright, Doug Travis, Slews, you know the big WMAs, yeah. and then a handful of other WMAs that also. Uh, have like you know a lot of good waterfowl hunting they do those surveys as well so start watching for those they've been out a couple weeks now but uh we update them as fast as we can so yeah the uh i actually went through the entire website yesterday every page every link everything you could possibly click on because we're gonna add uh videos to the pages where a video is appropriate mm-hmm. so like the page you were just talking about under hunt you got the waterfowl mm-hmm. survey the quota, you did a one for the quota hunt page Right. Yep. And uh, well, that yeah, that was with somebody else. So, mm-hmm. so uh, like we're gonna add like the uh, duck banding, just some yeah, inf- great. informational type stuff that people can, as they're looking, maybe learn something from from the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why the one he did was something that somebody else had shot, and just to get some information out there. But we're gonna add actually add pieces to that's the website. Cool. Yeah, it should be good. There's a lot of uh, I was surprised that there's some hidden stuff on our website that I didn't quite know was there. Lord yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there's some. It's, it's Mammoth Cave. <laughs> yeah, every time you we drop down it. into the website, you're going to go to places that no one's ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Every time we make a change, I, I just comb through it to yeah. make sure it's Because there's everywhere. so many branches. And I know? never get them all. I always get Brian Clark will call from, i got a Facebook person that's it's it's re- found a discrepancy. Like, oh, man. I know. One, one thing I did find on the website that I thought was interesting was... Uh, you know, I always give uh, Palmer a hard time because on our animal tracks card, it has cougar listed. And I'm like, you don't want, I mean, like we tell people there aren't cougars in the state of Kentucky, but for some reason it's listed right here on our animal tracks card. Well, there's also a cougar page on our website under wildlife species. Um, but then, so I'm like, I didn't know that. I'm like, that's just going to confuse people even more. But then <laughs> I started looking through it and basically our cougar page is uh, all the you know, reported sightings, like, you know, right. the news will get a hold of something and say there's a cougar. Well, it's it's our explanations of oh, those things. Mm-hmm. So it's really debunking the hoax. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that, I thought that was kind of interesting that we had that on there. It's something I found while I was combing through yesterday. Here's this question somebody asked me, Zach Wheeler. He said, I have an older cousin who was drawn for the Sandhill Crane Tags. If you don't mind me asking, do you have any tips on best places to hunt or best ways to prepare? Yeah, so we get this question a lot, yeah. and it's it's tough. Um the two main roosting areas for Sandhill Cranes are in Hardin County and Barron County. Mm-hmm. Barron River Lake being the biggest roost in the state, the yep. most consistent roost. So the majority of our birds harvested come from the land surrounding Barron River Lake, okay. mostly private land. Uh, to my understanding, mo- I've never harvested one down there, but I understand most people just take time, go down, find a field with birds, track down a landowner, ask for permission and apparently they're pretty successful uh, you yeah. know when you ask for deer permission you're asking for an entire season yeah when you ask for crane permission you're asking for a day or two not just that but when you ask somebody to deer hunt chances are they're probably deer hunter themselves exactly or, or they yep. but you know sandhill tags or something that only 400 right. people well no this year it's more than 400 yeah 530 some odd people yeah. were, were yeah. drawn for tags so yeah. some got two some got three most Everybody got two, some got three. So. I mean, cranes are migratory too, so it's not like you're hunting the cranes that are going to be sitting right there on their property next year. Yep. So. The season opened Monday, and I doubt many have been. I haven't pulled the telecheck yeah. numbers. I should have done that. But um, right now, Barren River Lake's high. It's on that summer pool, maybe a little bit higher mm-hmm. than the summer pool. 
cranes really need those expansive mud flats okay. that happen at winter pool. They don't like to roost close to the woods or close to the water where they can be harassed. You know, they they need the those mud flats and the we don't have them right now, so we're not holding a lot of sandhill cranes. So you're saying best bet, though, is to go down near Barren River Lake? That's where the majority are killed now. Uh, we've had some, we uh, protected a section of Green River Lake because uh, the last two years we've had cranes that started roosting it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, lo and behold, somebody telechecks a Green County sandhill crane. And so I don't, you know, I don't know that it was shot on the roost or not. But uh, we, we want to protect those roost areas because yeah. when you have a, a good roost, then you have good hunting yeah. around that roost. Mm-hmm. So um, right now, with the lakes being high, based on all the rain we've had, we're not holding a lot of cranes. I did a survey yesterday and only found 34 birds out and around. So okay. we don't have many yet. Okay. But uh, They're pulling those lakes hard. Yeah, but and they pull barren in the winter anyway, like 27 feet. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the upper end of it's just... The guy down its original channel. One of the crappie guys we go out with, he says in the winter he goes out and he puts brush piles out on barren, and he just does it on foot. He because mm-hmm. the lake is so low that he can literally walk out to what is eventually going to be ten or fifteen feet underwater right. in the summer, and he'll just build a brush pile, and then you know later on the water comes back and it's ten feet deep. So. Yeah, I, I've duck hunted barren a lot, and it's it's neat looking at it in the winter and mm-hmm. then going out in the summer. And it's yeah. a, like, is this the same place? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's probably why they're there. Is those mud flats? Right. That's exactly so, why they're there. So, uh, oh, that's that's so a good tip. Right now, we're getting to uh, call call ins. People seen them on Cumberland, uh, Kentucky Lake. They're they're spread out right now, which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're the, the population is increasing, yep. and so they're having to find other places in the state, or they're just happening to find other places in the state. And we're consistently getting reports from across the state. So they could be anywhere right now. So I'm mentioning Barron because that's where most of our birds are killed. But keep your eye out. Anywhere that has the right habitat, they could roost there. And uh, they're starting to find places, and you're starting to see them in these new spots two years in a row, which makes me think they're going to continue to use them. uh, I heard the uh, first sandhills of the year for myself. The other day, just about 15 miles west of here, I was uh, walking out of the woods. I was coyote hunting, and you know it was like right at dark, and yeah. I could hear them up there above me somewhere. I'm, they might have been two miles high. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a magical noise, oh. man. Oh. You hear them, and you think they're 100 feet above your head, and That's you can't awesome. even see them. They're so I've high. been fishing Cumberland in the fall and had them just soaring over. It's, oh, oh, they, it's a, they've been sound. steady for a couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I think a, most of them are short or bypassing us and stopping in Tennessee probably. Yeah. But uh, it's a pretty cool sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We got a group of them on the ground. Actually, I was uh, on a, I was walking with my, my girlfriend at Floyd's Fork last year and it was right after dark and they were, you know, they got those big grassland fields that they mow down mm-hmm. every fall for some reason. They, uh, there was a group of sandhills out there on those fields. Yeah, I, I heard about those. Yeah, yeah I mean, we were literally 50, 60 yards from them. They looked like, you know, dinosaurs. And yeah. all you could see, <laughs> you could see them silhouetted at night, and they were all making a ton of noise. But, and I, she never had seen sandhill grains before, so I was explaining to her, you know, that used to be a, you know, a pretty rare species, and they've right. really been coming back. And uh, the noise, I mean, it's just something you can't forget when you hear it. So. No, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty we, cool. Seems like when they're at Cumberland, we catch fish too. It's like they have good they have good fish karma. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope they come around when I'm fishing. You know, my grandma thought that if a dragonfly landed on your pole, you were going to catch fish. Did you ever hear that? Uh, yeah, she I, called I've them fish doctors. Yeah. You ever heard that? I've heard it a lot. Old timers yeah. are called dragonflies fish doctors. And it's good luck if they land on your rod tail. <laughs> I did then not. you didn't want to shake them off. You want them to sit there until they flew off on their own. Never heard that before. You never have. Never heard that, but I have now. So. 
All right, let's wrap it up, guys. We've been going for a while, and uh, it's about that time anyway. So it is. All right, appreciate you coming on, Wes. I have to go buy oh, my pheasant man. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's oh yeah. You know, I will add one more thing. So next week for the show, we're going muzzleloader hunting Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday we're going quail hunting, and then Thursday we're going trout fishing. So there's a lot to do. Right Are you going now. trout fishing? Otter Creek. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So there's a lot to do right now. No excuse to stay inside and. The good access time. there, Garnettsville, Otter Creek is really good. You can catch trout right there. Good parking lot. Walk downstream, yeah. you're in trail. It's Blue, great. Blue hole. Yeah. Is that where y'all going? I don't know. We're going with somebody who knows what they're doing. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway, thanks for coming on, guys. Mm-hmm.